Hey, hey, founders and friends. Today is a continuation of our summer highlight series as the team and I take a little break. In this series, we're sharing with you some of the highlights from our favorite stories from awesome startup founders in 2022. Today, we're revisiting the highlights from my chat with Brooke Roberts, CEO and co-founder of Sharesies. Sharesies is an investment platform that is democratizing financial investment by giving anyone who has $5 the same financial investment opportunity as someone who has $5 million. Sharesies has six co-founders and a three-EO setup where you have three CEOs. A very common dilemma for startup founders is actually finding a co-founder. How did you meet your fellow co-founders? Sonia, who's one of the co-founders, was the person who had the initial idea behind Sharesies. Leighton and I are husband and wife, and at this time we were fiancés, and we were really keen on starting a business and, and something in fintech, and we were tutoring with some ideas, along with Richard and Martin, who are the developers who are also co-founders. And Sonia was talking with her partner, Ben, who is also a co-founder, and he's our design chief. And so it was really fortunate that Sonia got contacted with, with Leighton and and heard how Leighton had started an investment club when he was 17, putting $50 away each week with 13 friends and and how that still goes today and how showing that you can invest with amounts like that and build a portfolio over time. And we wanted to really make that more accessible to more people. And so through a wonderful moment, it's quite serendipitous really. We all ended up getting together and, and co-founding Sharesies. Going into business with someone is like marrying them. So it's difficult enough if you were just vetting one co-founder. How did you vet each other? I I wouldn't put it as such as a vetting process, but making sure that our motives really align. I've started a business before where the first year of it running, you could really tell that the motives were aligned. And then the second year when a few other people came in, they had different motivations. I think it's really important to go. We all really cared about the purpose and we want, and we all had a really strong vision of how we could help make that happen. And we knew we had the skills we needed together in order to bring Shazies to life. But what we did early on is we sat down at a cafe and got a big piece of paper and I just asked the team a lot of questions on if you were going to create the most amazing business in the world, what would it feel like to work there? What are things that you would never want to see happen in your company that you've seen happen in others? And just we wrote down all these bullet points from this conversation we had and out of that came our values and could really see where we aligned. When you start a new business at the beginning, everyone gets excited and you draw up that vision. How do you maintain that momentum? The way that that's done always is changing as we grow. So, you know, the early days we could all just get into a room, you already knew what somebody else was thinking and you knew you were part of it and you'd just go. Where now, you know, there's a lot more thought goes into our team meetings and making sure that our strategy is really clear and people understand what they do that best contributes to that. I think the structure around that and the, the tools we've used has definitely changed over the years. But ultimately it comes down to knowing that we're all in it together. We're here to do Chase Remarkable, do amazing work and that we have deep, deep care in everything we do. And like I I said those values that we have of always care in it together and chase remarkable have enabled us to navigate our growth journey really well. Brooke, I'd like to talk about your capital raising journey. Five years in, Sharesies has successfully completed its Series C raise in October 2021 with a follow-on in January of this year. The company's valued at half a billion dollars. You have quite a diverse range of investors on your cap table from high profile corporate investors like Trade Me to VCs and angel investors like Stephen Tyndall, who's the founder of The Warehouse. Was the design of the cap table profile intentional? 
The thing we most designed is making sure that everybody that became our owner and shares these really, really believed in our purpose and wanted to see that come to life. And that's what we ultimately looked for is like they really believe in what we're doing and why we're doing it and they really want to back us. And so that's probably the extent of the design. We always wanted to to make sure that as many people within reason and within the boundaries of the law could have access to being part of Sharesies too. And also making sure that we did have those strategic shareholders too, those ones that can really add value and open doors and um, be there to call on and have that experience and wisdom. And I think we've been really fortunate to be able to yeah, build an incredible shareholding. Um, and I'll know that continue as we grow too. Many startups are led to believe that once you start bringing on investors who aren't family and friends, that investors will only accept some sort of preferential shares. And I love that you've kept everyone on the same class of shares. How were you able to convince your later investors to accept the same class of shares as your earlier investors? Before any conversation with any potential shareholder, I'm always really upfront. Like we're only offering ordinary shares. And if that's not of interest to you, then there's probably no point talking any further. And I th- we really, really believe the shareholders that joined us really early on to now and in our team who are ESOP, that it really should be equitable in that regard, that everyone has the same shares. It's almost consistent with your brand, isn't it? About the democratisation. Yeah. And yeah, what we stand for. And so far, I haven't had any issues in that regard. People just understand why and they get that. And who knows what happens in the future, you know, or what, but that's definitely something that we've, we stand really strongly by. I love that. Did you lose any interest? Were there, were there people who just said, no, we can't? Not that I recall. There's definitely been people where we've talked about shares and they're like, oh, not for now, you know. I think early on people were like, oh, you know, that's not going to happen. That's like, yes, it will. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. And I think it's just you stood really strongly in that. What challenges did you experience in your earlier rounds of cap raising that you didn't experience in the later rounds? Early on, you know, we were there, there were so many rules that have been put around capital raising that you get told as a founder early on, like, oh, well, you can't raise money until you've got revenue. And that's not true anymore. And, oh, you can't go to these VCs because they only invest Series A. And that's not true. Like there's so many dynamics that have changed now. I think for founders going, who do I want to help me bring this company to life? And who do I want to co-own this with? And then just go on hunting them. <laughs> I think it's the best way of growing that, that shareholding base. But in terms of things we learned, you know, early on, we got told, yep, you won't be able to raise until you have revenue. But we we raised 400K pre-revenue. That's what we needed at that time. And we raised it with a convertible note with no valuation cap and things like that. And that was because it's like, well, we know we're creating something valuable, but it is pre-revenue and it's pre-product. There's a massive opportunity here and we know that. And I think people really believed in the team we had and really wanted to see us come to life and we got awesome backers that way. And then our next raise, it was really interesting going through the valuation. From a founder's perspective, it's like, well, we need this much money to get to our next phase in the business and we're willing to give up this much equity to do that. Ta-da, there's your valuation. Uh, And then you have the other flip side trying to do discounted cash flow models or multiples on revenue and things like that. And ultimately it does come down to, yeah, really what you need in order to unlock that next stage of the business and not lock out opportunities to raise capital in the future, reduce your attractiveness as a business. So I think there's so much to learn and I have not articulated it really well. I think one thing we did experience in the early days that we have never experienced since is the real emotional volatility that can sometimes come from potential shareholders. Another thing that can kind of happen when you're first starting to pitch or something is they're like, oh, well, we've got a pitch event on this date, so you come at this date. 
But during that time, you might have been oversubscribed or got a lot of interest while you come to that date to pitch these next people. And and that did happen to us. And we kept them in the loop saying, oh, look, you know, it's starting to fill up, just FYI. And, that you know, like stuck with their date. And then by the time we got to their date, we were oversubscribed. And we let them know that. We're really upfront with it. It's kind of like flip table moments. It were just saying, you know, it doesn't mean that we've committed it at all or some of that, but just so you know, this is the state we're in. And I think that was really interesting. There's just a few dynamics where the kind of processes that are put on sometimes around these things can break. Brooke, what's one thing you can share with other founders who are thinking about capital raising or about to embark on the capital raising journey? One thing is look for shareholders that really, really believe in what you're doing and believe in you. And you'll ultimately be so well backed and supported and feel really excited about any time you're communicating with their shareholders or any time, you know, and I think I, I feel so fortunate to be a, to be in that position and be really clear on your non-negotiables, I think is really important. Like what do you really need out of these shareholders and what are you willing to give for that? And then being really clear and upfront about that. Because then that stops you having to waste time. You do all this pitching there last minute, you know, seeing some founder friends last minute, then these terms come at them and they're like, what? I can't accept that. And it's like just being really upfront. Think about what is, you know, what you're looking for. It really helps those conversations get be a lot more speedy, uh, which is helpful because you just want to get out of the capital raising and back to creating your business and also make sure that you're getting yeah, shareholders that really, really believe in what you're doing and, and want to support you. You've been listening to The Raise, a show that takes you deeper into founder stories about capital raising. Check out our show notes for all the contact details for Brooke and Sharesies. If you'd like to learn how to raise capital like a guru, check out one of our free capital raising downloads, like our Safes versus Convertible Notes cheat sheet. Head to termsheet.guru. That's T-E-R-M-S-H-E-E-T dot G-U-R-U. This podcast is brought to you by Termsheet Guru. Raise capital successfully and faster with Termsheet Guru so your startup can make an impact. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Raise, be sure to subscribe or follow the show wherever you get your favourite podcasts. And while you're there, share the love and leave us a five-star review. It really helps us spread these amazing founder stories far and wide. I'm Mylin Dang, and we'll be back next episode with another deep dive into a founder's capital raising journey.